Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strebel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. In my dream, I remember in the afternoon service, at least the second service, whatever it was, uh, there were just a few people there, and they were sitting in desks, you know, whatever dreams are. But anyway, I remember thinking that that I'm going to preach the same sermon, and these people they don't want to hear the same sermon. And I just started preaching, and God gave me liberty to preach in, in that. I just felt the presence of God. And so I, um, perhaps, just out of my personal prejudices for the book of Isaiah, uh, in my reading through the second part of the book of Isaiah in the wee hours of the morning and then this morning, uh, I suppose I focused on my two favorite passages in in the book of Isaiah. And the 40th chapter we talked about this morning, I'd like for us to consider Isaiah chapter 55 this afternoon. And I trust God would speak some words of of, uh, edification, exhortation, and comfort to the hearts of God's people. That's sort of Paul's definition uh, of prophecy, preaching in... uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, He that prophesieth speaketh unto men, unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. I pray that God would give that to us this afternoon. Let's read the, the chapter. It's rather short. Isaiah chapter 55. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that know not thee shall run unto thee because of Jehovah thy God. And for the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and returns not thither, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, 
but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto, whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Here we have a passage of Scripture that ends with the perseverance of the saints. God is going to accomplish in His children that which He has purposed. God will bring them. And yet, we also see what we refer to commonly as the responsibility of man in that He calls men to turn away from their sins and to turn away from their wickedness and walk before Him in, in the truth. And so, Isaiah starts this chapter off with a, a call. And it's as if, uh, you know, the kids always... Oh, I don't know. I'd probably make fun. I was going to say some other thing, but make fun of me about the way I call folks up to eat. You know, I always say, Woo! You know, just some loud noise to get everybody's attention. That's what, that's what Isaiah says. Ho! Listen! I've got something awfully important to tell you. Ho! Listen to me! And then he addresses those who only can hear the call. He says, Ho, everyone! That thirsteth. Now, he's talking about here, of course, in a spiritual sense. They are thirsty for spiritual things. And so, the invitation here is that of the invitation of the gospel. It is only given to those with a thirst. And I tell you that that's one of the gracious things that God does for His children. Do you belong to God? Would you, would you this day have some assurance that you are God's child? then know this. If you find in your soul a thirst for holy things, a thirst for spiritual things, a thirst to hear the Word of God, a thirst to lift up your voice to praise God, a thirst to seek the face of God in prayer, if you find that in your soul, let me tell you, my friend, you are a blessed person. Thirsty people are blessed people because thirsty people do, well, what thirsty people do. They go to quench their thirst. It becomes something of a passion to them, depending upon the level of their thirst. They begin to think about it. They begin to contemplate it. It's like being out working on a hot day and your tongue starts to get dry and begins to stick to the roof of your mouth. And you begin to think of, of something to drink, anything to drink. Why, you might even get so desperate that you drink water. You know, that's, and, and water sounds like the best thing that there is. Oh, what a blessed state it is to be thirsty. I have a spiritual thirst. Oh, he says, listen to me. Everybody who's thirsty, he says to him, come, and, and he that hath no money, he says, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy, and eat. I've, I've wondered about that a good bit. If you have no money, how can you buy? But he tells you, you must buy. He that has no money, come and buy and eat. 
Well, there's there's a simple a simple explanation to that. It's it's already been bought, and you it, it's not something that's free in in the sense of no one paid anything for it. It was paid for. What he's what he's giving forth here has been paid for, but not by you. You've got no money. You know, it would be a terrible thing to, um, well, be like the proverbial guy in the ship in the poem who's, who's out in the middle of the sea and he's dying of thirst. And he says, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. He looks around, he sees lots of water, but it's not suitable. He cannot take it. He cannot drink it. And you see, that's, that's the way the world is to the child of God. Their pleasures everywhere. Their enticements everywhere. Their entertainments everywhere. But it's, it's nothing to, to salve and soothe and quench the thirst of the child of God. He might go after these pleasures for a moment, for a season. But he's no more satiated when he gets through than he was when he began. No, to the child of God, nothing brings him satisfaction except the living water. Jesus said to the woman at the well, they came there and Jesus said, said uh, can I have a drink? And she's puzzled because a man has asked her a question. A man has initiated a conversation with a woman. But even more puzzling, a Jewish man has initiated a conversation with a Samaritan woman. She's so amazed that she converses with him, apparently without getting water. She says, how can you talk to me? A man who is a Jew to a woman who is a Samaritan. And Jesus said, said woman, um, I have water to drink that you know not of. That if, a, that if a man drink, he will never thirst again. Remember the Samaritan woman said, Sir, I'd like some of this water. He says, Well, go call your husband. Well, I, I, don't, I don't have a husband. Well, you said, Well, you don't have a husband. You've had five and you're living with a man who's not your husband now. And that you have said, Well, Ah, sir, she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, she, she says, starts a religious uh, controversy. Your fathers say that you need to worship down Jerusalem, but our fathers say, and she pointed to this mountain garrison, this is where we ought to worship. He said, woman, does the hour is coming, and it is now at hand, that they that, that worship me will neither worship in Jerusalem nor in this mountain, for they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. She says, well... You know, who can figure out all of this stuff? When the Messiah comes, he'll, he'll set it all straight. Oh, I love this text line. Woman, I haven't speaking to thee. Tell me. She lays her water pot and runs into town. Well, you see, what she has found here, and, and Christ knows this. Christ has been led to a divine encounter to one of his children, and he saw something in her that probably no one else saw. They were all amazed at this woman. They knew what kind of woman she was. She was disreputable. And and when she comes and says, there's a man out here at the well who has told me everything I ever did, I'm sure they're all thinking, well, why would you be pleased with that? 
The reason she would be pleased with that is simple. He saw something in her that other people did not see. He saw a thirsty soul. And he knew he had been led by a divine encounter to this well not to get a drink, not to just carry on a conversation with the Samaritan woman because Jesus has that which truly satisfies the thirst of the child of God. You see, the world, this thing is kind of reversed because the world looks at the water of life and you know what they say? They say, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. They're not pleased with this water. It doesn't look like that which satisfies them. What what we're doing here today, that does not satisfy the world. But to the child of God, what is offered here is the greatest of all gifts, the water of life. But more than just that, water is great. It it satisfies the thirst, and everybody ought to drink lots of it. And and I aggravate my wife when I when I say that I drink lots of water, it just all tastes like tea. You know, we like something besides water. Water's great to satisfy the thirst, but there's more to life than water. And notice he says here, come here, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wine and milk are always a symbol of, of plenty. Remember the land of Canaan was described as a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. Wine, an abundance of wine is always spoken of in the scripture as, as, uh, as a symbol of, of God's blessing and, and, his, and his plenty. And so in the kingdom of God, yes, there's water that satisfies the soul, but there's more than that there. There's the milk and the wine. There's the sweetness. There's the fatness of the things of the kingdom of God. And I say to you today, as a, as a minister of the gospel of Christ, I say to you, any of you who is thirsty, come. Come to the waters. Take this, the waters of life freely. It cannot be bought. Uh, Peter says, Know you not that you were not redeemed with corruptible things from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Money cannot buy what the soul of man most desperately needs. And you know what the soul of man most desperately needs? He needs spiritual water. He needs spiritual food. He needs the wine and the milk that God offers to him, that God gives to him. Now, then he asks this question. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? He's basically saying here, why do you waste your money? Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. When the evil days come, draw nigh, and thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. He says, remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. I remember that God called me out of darkness into His light at a very young age. The process began, I don't even know, I couldn't even put my finger on exactly when it all began. But God blessed me in my youth, in my teenage years, my early adult years, and I give God all the glory because it all belongs to Him. God blessed me with that. And you know what? I would say to all of you young people here today, why would you give your life to something which will turn around and destroy you? Why would you do that? 
Why would you give your money for something that's not bread? It, it pretends to be nourishing, but it's not. It doesn't satisfy. And, and uh, as the Scripture says, talks about how that lust tends to increase more and more. And the lustful eye is never satisfied. You know, the pleasures of, of this world, you know why things get more and more bizarre <coughs> as time goes along? Deeper depths of sin, degradation, uh, thrill-seeking, pleasure-seeking, because the more you have, the more you've got to get. And then it comes to the place to where you're never satisfied, and you know what happens then? Well, that's why so many people in the world we live in live on drugs and medicines, things to deaden them and dull them and to, and to take their minds away from the fact that they have nothing. There's nothing really there. He says, why would you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which edifies not? You know, how do you impress on anyone the real brevity of life? How do you, how do, you do that? I, I know I know that uh, I've not always had the perspective that I have now, and I'm only 52 years old now. And I'm sure it will get more keen as the days go by. But how do you impress on someone the brevity of life? How do you impress on someone that that there's only one short life to live in this world? And why would you spend it chasing the wind? Why would one spend his life chasing after that which does not satisfy? And so people come to my age, and you know what they're worried about? You know what they're worried about at my age? They're worried about their wrinkles. And they're worried about their flab. And, and, and coming up with a thousand ways to do something with a... I read the ultimate thing in the newspaper the other day. Some woman. <laughs> Get this, that's the honest truth. Somebody said, well, you just look so much younger. What's the secret of your youth? And she says, preparation age. What? Yeah, yeah that's what I said. What? Yeah, I rub it on my face all the time. You know, it shrinks, swollen membranes. <laughs> She's so desperate. She can't afford Botox or whatever this stuff is. And, and, and creams and wrinkles and, you know, this over-the-counter cheap stuff. Of course, who knows what it will do to you in the long run uh, for its non-intended purposes. But you see what I'm saying? Youth does not satisfy. Youth cannot satisfy and yet people get my age and they're, they're always struggling for youth. But youth can't satisfy. Only Christ can satisfy. And then if you have Christ in your life, you can be 52 years, years old and not worry too much about your wrinkles and your, your bags under your eyes and the little flab on your belly and, and all that. I mean, you don't worry too much about it. Uh, and you can even get older and you're facing what? You're facing squarely into the grave. And that's why I love what, what Lucille Watts told me the other day. I told you about it. She said, you know, the older I get, the sweeter death sings. You see, when somebody has the real water and someone has truly bought wine and milk from Christ, who alone can give it, they're able to face anything that life gives them with strength, with confidence, with trust, and even as we as we preached last Sunday, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Remember I said this is not merriment. This is an inward joy and peace that comes from knowing Christ in whatever situation of life. And so he says, listen to me. Incline your ear. Come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make you an everlasting covenant, even the sure mercies of David. And uh, that's referred to in, in Acts chapter 13. And the interesting thing in Acts chapter 13, when, when that is referred to, is talking about the Gentiles. He's going to, to give to the Gentiles the sure mercies of David. That is the, the covenant promises that God made to David. That God would raise up of his, de, of his descendants a king and a kingdom would come of which there would be no end. And this is, this is not just for Jews. This is for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says here, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Uh, call upon him while he is near. Come to the waters. Drink of the water of life freely. Commit your life to, to, to Christ. Serve Him. Love Him. Honor Him with all your soul. Now, I want to turn briefly to one of the shortest chapters in Isaiah. It's back in the first part, chapter 12. It's, uh, it's almost a, uh, an out-of-the-place kind of thing. It pops up in the middle of some of the dismal things of the first part of Isaiah. It's a short hymn of praise. And it focuses here. He says, and focuses here on this water, in Isaiah chapter 12, And in that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Now, if you were to read the chapters before, chapter 9 is a pretty good chapter, chapter 6 is a pretty good chapter, but other than that, it's pretty much a dismal picture of Israel's sin and Israel's turning away from God. And then after this part, he starts turning to all the nations around them lest they think that they're better off and he begins to pronounce woes and judgments on all of them. But he's always, always the, the book of Isaiah. And all I did was read the last part and kind of skim through the first part this, this day. Throughout it all, he's saying this. There's a day coming. There's a glorious day coming. And it's a day of deliverance. It's a day of strength. Now the Jews always thought that meant a physical deliverance, a physical deliverance from all their trouble. And, and this Messiah would be this great uh, physical king who would rule and drive out all the enemies of Israel and make Israel the greatest nation in the world and all of that. But we find out as we get over to chapter 53 that no, that's, that's not what he's talking about. But still what he's talking about is this. There's a day coming when all the nations of the earth are going to flow into the mountain of Zion. 
Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, black and white, boys and girls, are going to come into the into the to the Mount Zion. And so that's the day he's talking about. In that day, thou wilt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry. Oh, listen, the anger of God, how how awful is the very thought of God's anger. And as we talked about the wrath of God recently, we see the anger of God so clearly at the cross. We see it probably more clearly than in any other place. The anger of God. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away. Why is the anger of God turned away? Because our iniquity has been pardoned. Because the warfare has been accomplished. The iniquity has been pardoned and we have received the Lord's hand double for all our sins. And so He he commands us here to trust. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Here's one of the few places in the King James Bible where the word Lord is actually translated Jehovah. Every, everywhere you see a capital O, capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it could properly be translated Jehovah. But he says here, I will trust and not be afraid. Now, for the child of God, there's much about which to be afraid. A lot about which he might lose his confidence. I was um, talking to Sister Sharon about this. And, and you know, sometimes we might just think about something as awful as cancer. I mean, that's fearful. You just hear the word. And it makes you afraid. Just in, in the natural course of things, it makes you afraid. It's, it's a dangerous thing. It's, it's a life-threatening thing. Or you may hear, you know, the words that, that parents kind of dread to hear, your, your child has been in a wreck. You know, they called me up recently and Lord, Lord asked, asked Kathy to give the phone to me and said, Joseph's been in a wreck. Well, that was the first thing out of her mouth. But just quickly right after that, he, she said, but he's okay. Everything's okay. Well, immediately. You know, my fears were calm. But what if he had said, you know, he's, he's in pretty bad shape. He's, he's up here at the med, and they don't know if he's going to live or not. It could have been that way. That policeman had worked other, other motorcycle wrecks that night that were that way and worse. You know, there's all these fears. That, that just come upon us as a part of the natural flow of life. And the children of God are not exempt. God's children, their children, have wrecks. Sometimes get killed. Sometimes they get cancer. Sometimes there are huge and devastating financial reverses. God's children are not exempt from the troubles of this world because we live in this incursed earth. Listen, my friends, here's where we have the greatest opportunities to shine. And if we have laid hold of Christ, the fountain of living waters, we will say, Behold, God is my salvation. The doctor's not my salvation. God is my salvation. 
My children are not my salvation. God is my salvation. Money is not my salvation. God is my salvation. Preachers are not my salvation. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. And so we talked this morning about faithfulness to God and staying staying faithful in the battle and staying faithful in the fray that God has called us into. We will do that when we lay hold of this living water. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the water. What does this water do? It quenches the thirst. What does the milk and the wine do? It gives strength. It gives fortification to, to love God and serve God and honor God. Because the Apostle Paul says of his own physical infirmities, whatever they were, he asked God to take them away. He wanted them to be taken away. But God said no. Well, now there's your opportunity for fear, but the Apostle Paul says no. Because God said, I'm going to give you the grace to bear your infirmities. So Paul says, I will now rather glory in my infirmities because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. When I'm thirsty, that's when I go to the water. When I see my need, that's when I go to Christ. I see it the greatest. I see it the most fully. And so he says, therefore, because of this, and I love this word picture, with joy shall you draw waters out of the well, wells of salvation. You see, this confidence in God as it were. This trust in God is the means of accessing this water constantly. It's a constant drawing of this water. No other water will ever satisfy. No other water will ever give to the child of God what Christ gives to the child of God. And in that day shall you say, praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He has done excellent things and His work is known throughout all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. So when the child of God lays hold of, of the grace of God, and I love that word picture, a similar word picture there in uh, Romans chapter 6. He says, he says uh, by, uh, by faith we have access into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And I like to picture that grace as being a pool of grace. You know, I've preached that here a hundred times. And he says, by faith we have access into this grace wherein we stand. Faith, as it were, is the cup with which we draw. With joy shall you draw waters out of the well of salvation. Oh, listen, my friends. We're living in a difficult day. We're living in a dark time. When men are going to have to prove themselves to be men. And I don't mean that in the gender sense of the word. I mean it in the biblical sense of quit you like men. When we're going to have to stand like men. We're going to have to stand in our place and be faithful to God and do what God has called us to do because many will faint by the way. The Bible tells us in the latter day, many shall, the love of many shall wax cold. Oh, let it not be said of you that you're in this latter day religious, as Brother Wallace used to call it, uh, this latter day environment of religious confusion. Oh, that your love would not grow cold. That your devotion would not grow cold. That your faith would not grow cold. That you would be constantly 
consistently, with joy, by faith, taking hold of the living water of life, Jesus Christ, so that as the days go by, you and I will be found faithful to God. So that then we would be witnesses, as, as is described here in the 12th chapter of the book of, of Isaiah. Then we shall say, call upon the Lord, cry out about the greatness of God. And so, back to chapter 55. He says in verse 9, 8, and here's where we have to, here's the basis of our trust in God. Your basis of trust in God will never be understanding God. You'll never understand God. You'll never understand all His ways, nor will I. Because He tells us here, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He says in another place, and they are past finding out. And so men wander around in this world, bumping off the trees, wondering why God did this. What God? What is God doing here? And and in despair because they can't figure God out. They're in despair because of cancer. And they're in despair because of their children. They're in despair because of their money. They're in despair because of the country. You know, look around us. And I thought in 1980, if Jimmy, if uh, if uh, Ronald Reagan's not elected, Brother Claude and I, we're ready to pack up and go to Canada, almost literally. You know, I'm glad that we've I've learned a little bit since Brother Claude. <laughs> some trust in chariots and some in horses. I thought when Bill Clinton was elected, you know, well that's that's the end of all things. <laughs> the end of all things is at hand. But here we are, you know, 12 years later, and we're still around. Because, you know why? God's got purposes I don't understand. I don't understand why God spares this nation as wicked as it's getting and more and more so every day that we draw breath. I don't understand why God's judgment tarries. I don't understand why Christ tarries. I don't understand sickness and death and pain and trouble and heartache and toil. I don't understand all those things. I don't understand all of God's purposes for them. And so if you settle this thought, in your mind, that God, his, his ways are just past my ways. They're past finding out. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I can't figure God out. Notice then, the next verse. Notice the progression. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth out of my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Now here's our confidence in God. God sends His Word. God calls men to preach and to preach His Word. God sends His Word through His servants whom He calls to preach. God has given you the, the written Word to read and to draw strength from and to be blessed by and the promise from God is this. His Word shall not return unto Him void. Now that tells me this. Every time I lay hold of the truth of God's Word and I appropriate that to myself, it always does what God said 
His Word will do. And you know what that is? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and what? He shall direct thy paths. You know, when we look at somebody like Brother John and Sister Ellen and the struggle that they are in, you know, one common expression that we hear them say is, well, we're just living one day at a time. And what that, what that expression means is, and we understand is, that we have no idea what's, what's coming after tomorrow. What's coming tomorrow, we're just going to live one day at a time. Take it one day at a time. Well, without just stating the obvious, I will state the obvious. You know, that's how we all live. One day at a time. But you see, we don't live in the constant awareness of that like somebody who is in the trial, who is in a fiery trial like they are. Because you think you know what's going to happen tomorrow. Brother, Brother Reggie Brother Reggie thinks he'll wake up at whatever time he wakes up, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. He's going to go out there and get in his truck and go to wherever their job is. Brother Lewis says, I'm going to be right there with him. Whoever else all works for you, Paul and David, I... I don't know who all your crew is. See, everybody thinks they're going to know what they're going to do tomorrow. I'm going to get up in the morning and, and I'm going to go out and check on Elmo, see what's going on out there. I'll come on down here, I think. I don't really doubt what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. But Brother John and Sister Ellen do. God has brought them to the place to where they truly just live one day at a time. And that's all any of us do. And and when and it's not a bad place to be spiritually. Matter of fact, it's a very good place to be spiritually. And that's one of the, the things that God uses adversity for to teach us how frail we are and how absolutely dependent we are on God from day to day. But God's Word is designed to give us strength. And when we lay hold of that, it always accomplishes what God intended now, notice the next thing in this progression here. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. When we, when we lay hold of this water, we drink of this living water, we eat the bread of life, we take of Christ, we li- try to live the life of Christ, then, yeah, there may still be uncertainties. Yeah, you still don't know what God's thinking. You still haven't got it figured out and you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. But you know what you you know what you do know is that God's word will never return to him void. It will always accomplish what he sent it for. And your confidence in God and your trust in God will let you go forth in joy. That's why I believe Brother John and Sister Ellen still do on their when they publish on their website and, and send emails and stuff. It doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like a sick person. It sounds like someone whose trust is in God. And I, I know, I know Brother John and Sister Ellen have their down days and sometimes they don't sound each other or other people like, they, like they'd like to sound all the time. But see, this is real. And what, I, I never want to see anybody have adversity in his life. I sure don't want it in my life. And I don't like to see it in anybody else's life. But you know what I do rejoice in when the children of God suffer it? I rejoice in the difference 
in them and the world. There's they're still able to go out with joy and led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth in you as singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name and an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You know, it's still proverbial that the glass half full or half empty. We've talked about We don't always ask. We, as a matter of fact, we seldom ask. Never ask, I suppose, for adversity and trial and difficulty. But what we do ask for is God's help. My dad told me that not too long ago he was convicted about saying things that he ought not to say. Not ugly words or anything, but maybe critical, maybe um, things that weren't encouraging, things that gendered strife. He, he became convicted, so he asked God to bless him to not say things like that anymore. Well, it was just a couple of months, and he absolutely lost his voice. He could not talk above a whisper. And then when they put the tracheotomy in, he couldn't even do that. He had to write on a... And one thing he wrote was, after telling about that, he says, you better be careful what you pray for. He asked God to bless him not to say things that he ought not to say. Not to say critical things or argumentative things or grumpy things or grouchy things or I don't know what all he exactly meant by that. Um, but when God sent this adversity, you know what he did? His first thought was that prayer. Well, I prayed this and this may be God's way of doing it. Well, who knows how, how God works in all that. We don't know his ways. His ways are our past finding out. But what my dad did was a spiritual thing that I appreciated. He began to relate this to the Lord and how he could 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 praise God. Even in the midst of this trouble, even for this that he prayed for. Well, you know, sometimes we say, Lord, teach us patience. You ever prayed that prayer? Lord, teach me patience. Well, you know, the older you, the older you live, the less apt you might be to pray that prayer. Because how's God going to teach you patience? Well, He's going to put you in some circumstance that will require patience. You see, patience is, is something that is worked in us through the workings of God. So, here's the prayer that I think we should all pray. And it's a biblical prayer. Lord, Bless me to love Your Word and to esteem Your Word more than my necessary food. God said His Word 
would never return unto him void, but would accomplish that which he purposed. Now, there are some other theological places we could go with that, but all I want to get out of that here is this. It is God's word that sustains. It is God's truth that upholds. So that when adversity comes in your life, and notice, I did not say if adversity comes in your life. Job said, said it well, that man's days are few in number and full of trouble. There will be adversity. There will be things that, that are esteemed by us to be troubles and problems. They may not be of the magnitude that Sister Ellen's facing or Sister Sharon. Um, they may not be the magnitude of, of some things that, that might be, but they will come. And what do you do when they come? You know what the thirsty soul does? It goes to the water of life. He's constantly drawing. Therefore with joy shall you draw waters out of the well of salvation. And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord. We're living here at this church one day at a time. There are many things about the course of this church that have been predictable. And 25 years after the fact is not surprising. There have been some things that have surprised me. Some bumps in the road, some difficulties, some trials, things that flatly caught me unawares. But I do know this. It is never the answer to faint and grow weary and quit. Because I've seen people try to do that and I've seen the small consequences of such. I've seen some people who quit and come back and said, let me, let me die the death of the righteous. Let me stay here. And so, all through Isaiah, there's trouble, there's problems, there are afflictions, but there's a day in which that will be right. There's a place in which God's people can go to find comfort and strength. May you and I go there constantly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You know, Lord, that sometimes I as a preacher who has spent a little time studying the Bible knows the right answers and the correct things to say in various circumstances. And Lord, sometimes I fear that that they have a hollow sound. And they do. Just in and of themselves. Cold truth can never satisfy a soul. Ah, but the sweet waters of life in Christ can satisfy the soul. The milk and the wine in the kingdom can surely bring comfort 
to the faintest heart. And so, Lord, I pray that You would bless Brother John and Sister Ellen, Sister Sharon. Lord, I pray for Jackie and Marshall LaCroix and and for uh, Rhonda Jones and Mark. And Lord, we could just probably name a lot of other people who are going through life-threatening troubles. The kinds of trouble, Lord, that everybody sees, it's manifest. I pray, Lord, that You bless them to lay hold of Christ in such a sweet and glorious way that they would draw with joy out of the wells of salvation strength and sustenance and help. And Father, I pray for us as the church of God that we also might lay hold of this every every day of our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that we know what is going to happen tomorrow. Bless us to remember the words of your servant James who said that you ought not say that tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and buy and sell and get gain. But that we ought to say, if the Lord wills. Father, please help us not ever to forget that. To say, if the Lord wills. And not just as a byword, but as a true expression of our souls. And so, Lord, we don't know what tomorrow may bring, but we do know who controls tomorrow. We do know who holds our hand. And so, Father, we love You for the confidence that we have in Christ. Thank You for the confidence that Ellen and Sharon have that is able to give Sister Ellen the amazing strength to call out that hymn. Thy way, not mine, O Lord, however dark it be. O lead me by Thine own right hand. Be Thou a guide for me. Father, may Sister Ellen always have that strength. May she always have that attitude. May she be strengthened in the inner man by it every day of her life. That whether she recovers from this cancer or does not, her confidence would be in You. And Lord, I pray for Brother John likewise. And for Jimmy. And for all who love them. Father, I'm thankful that when these things happen, I find Your Word to be true. And indeed, Your Word never returns to You void. I pray, Father, that You would bless us to always have our eyes on Christ, the living water. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.